You are entering the Freedom Hut. Are the Kobe memos of his interactions with Trump going to be shared publicly? And what could that mean for Sanctacomi himself? Plus, Mueller has abused prosecutorial discretion so many times in the past. What should that mean about how we judge McCabe, the FBI's number two, and the charges that he may in fact face? Also, the uh, Starbucks arrestees have spoken out. We've got more on that and an update on the North Korea talks. Stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. There has been no collusion. They won't find any collusion. It doesn't exist. Uh, As far as uh, the two gentlemen you told me about, uh, they've been saying, I'm going to get rid of them for the last three months, four months, five months, and uh, they're still here. So we want to get the investigation over with, done with, put it behind us. Welcome to the Bucks Action Show, everybody. Great to have you. I'm coming to you live from San Diego, California, which I would say is sunny San Diego, but somehow I brought the cold and the rain with me. Womp, womp. Trump is right. Trump is right. They are continuing this uh, charade, or charade, if you want to sound really fancy, of uh, caring about what the truth of the investigation into Russia collusion is. When, as we know, it is just a get Trump, never Trump, anti-Trump operation in disguise. That's what this is all about. They keep talking about whether they should pass legislation to protect Rosenstein and Mueller. And as Trump has pointed out himself, they run this story whenever it feels like there's a hole in their news cycle. Right. CNN, MSNBC and others. Oh, yeah. Let's just uh, let's pretend that the the firing of. Rosenstein is imminent. That will get people to tune in. Let's get everyone all riled up that it's just a, a, any moment now. Mueller is going to get tossed. As I've said to you, I'm much more open to the idea than a lot of other conservatives are. I figure, you know, rip the Band-Aid off and don't think twice about it. But you know, there's some word that the uh, Senate may go around Mitch McConnell and take action on this. And as I've said to you, I think this causes problems just from a constitutional separation of powers perspective. The Senate can't be passing laws that says what the executive branch can do within the executive branch about appointees and decisions. That's that's a no go as far as I can see. Uh, But more to the point about the complaints around the imminent firing of Rosenstein and Mueller. You'll notice that the media are not very good at predicting things. They weren't good at predicting the the onset of fascism in this country that's what they said was they said that was going to happen there's going to be fascism in america because of trump nope that didn't happen at all in fact country's doing quite well by all the uh, ways we can measure it still a lot of work to be done no question uh, but they're they're not good at predicting what's going to happen they have been predicting donald trump's regime's demise administration's demise for quite some time i don't think it's going to happen in fact there were reports today that rosenstein has told trump that he is not a part of any criminal investigation now 
Unlike the other side, we can't make too much of that because it is true that you can go from being not a part to a part of an investigation in the blink of an eye. And when you have a headhunter out there like Mueller, who is trying to just take people and ruin them, right, who, who is on a quest for deep state vengeance against Trump and his team, you can't take anything for granted. But feels like I'm actually not so bad at predictions. Those of you who are listening to the show yesterday, remember that a, a big theme, what I started with was, you know, we need to fight back. And the good people in this country need to push those in positions of power, whether appointed officials or elected officials, who see things from the same perspective as us, meaning that we believe in individual rights and liberty and a free society and not some kind of Democrat, single party state, soft authoritarianism, right? People that don't that don't want that for the country need to actually throw some punches. Not I don't mean literally punch anyone, but they need to be fighting back, fight fire with fire. And today, sure as night follows day, or is it as sure as day follows night? Whichever one of those things is the one you're supposed to say. We have two instances of very deep Swamp state dwellers. Or wait, deep state. (laughs) Actually, I kind of like the way that came out. Deep state swamp dwellers or deep state swamps, deep swamp state dwellers, whichever one you prefer. um, They are on the hot seat now. McCabe and Comey may, in fact, get a little bit of uh, justice that they are going to be very unhappy with. Let's t- let's take these uh, let's take these piece by piece. Uh, first and foremost, you have the uh, criminal referral within the office of the inspector general of remember of the uh, McCabe situation. Now, Andy McCabe was that guy who got fired, and I remember when his firing happened. I was on TV. I was talking about it over at Fox and elsewhere, or I guess just at Fox. They didn't want to hear what I had to say about it at CNN. No surprise. Not that I would go on anyway. Um, but when he was fired, there were all these people on the left saying, oh, it's terrible. How could they do this? How could you fire McCabe? And then the inspector general's report came out and it's pretty clear. Yeah, you can fire him because he was lying and leaking. And those are problems. Those are things that you're not supposed to do when you are, uh, the number two at the FBI. That's not the way it's supposed to work. So there were real reasons for it. There were real reasons for McCabe. Uh, to get tossed but then people start to ask the other question here which is well hold on a second why is it if we are going to live in a country where people like james comey will be sancta comey so haughty about how people can't lie you know in the process of investigations or to, to federal government officials you can't lie Well, shouldn't that apply even more so to those empowered by the federal government than it does to the average citizen? If the people that are given the authority to show up at your home with guns and you are not allowed to defend yourself, you are required to just go with them when they say go and they can put you in a cell and they can do all of that because they claim that you have said something untrue, even if you've committed no other crime, if those people lie 
Shouldn't we have an even higher expectation that they will be punished? Shouldn't we demand that they have to live by the same regime, the same rules that they enforce against all of us? And oh, yes, that's right. Trump and Manafort and Flynn and the whole crew, that guy Spurgen from the Netherlands who got like 30 days in jail. Smurgen, I forget his name. Uh, he's Dutch. So I think that's normal that we would expect that. In fact, I think it's more than just okay for us to think that way. We have to think that way. And why I was saying yesterday we have to fight fire with fire. And I really came in the show and I was just, I was pumped up about this because I, I go back, I keep doing this in my head. I cycle through all the cases, the big political corruption cases and the cases where there was a huge political outcome that turned on prosecutorial discretion. And what do you see immediately when you just go I'm tell, as an exercise, do this yourself. Think about a major political corruption case where the Democrats wanted one outcome and the Republicans wanted another, whatever it may be. And somehow every time it goes against the Republicans. And there's nothing equivalent on the Democrat side that I can think of. And I can think of a whole bunch of ones at the top of my head with the Republicans. Scooter Libby case. Republican got completely hosed. Okay. Completely. Ted Stevens case. Republican hosed. Investigations. Never mind just even prosecutions. Investigations of big political figures. How many times do you know of where a Democrat was investigated based on flimsy to no evidence and either hounded out of office or forced to lose an election because of a criminal investigation that went nowhere. Because I could think of a whole bunch of times it's happened to Republicans. Right. Governor Scott Walker, Wisconsin. They were trying to get him. You had a rogue prosecutor up there in the state of Wisconsin, a state prosecutor. Who was going after the governor, locked a woman up in prison because she made a phone call. And I remember I covered the case. This was years ago. Everyone forgets about what happened in Wisconsin now. But the left was, they were going all in, throwing the dirtiest stuff they could at Walker and his people. They locked a woman up because she took a phone call in a government building when she was supposed to be outside a government building. It was a disgrace. And it was a complete, a complete bacchanal of prosecutorial misconduct. It was just grotesque. And you had Rick Perry faced a criminal investigation or the threat of a criminal investigation when he was a governor. Chris Christie, any charges there? No. Bridgegate, though, which I remember Rachel Maddow, who thinks of herself as a very erudite person, on the, uh, I think it was the Bill Marsh show, saying it was the most delicious political scandal of her lifetime. So she's either really wildly disingenuous or just not nearly in the universe of as smart as she thinks she is and her audience thinks she is. It's one or the other. Because that was a boring political story, and Chris Christie didn't do anything wrong in that. Not that I'm some big Christie fan. I don't like the thing where he showed up on the beach when it was closed to everybody else. I'm just going to say that. Hey, forget about it. But, oh, Governor Bob McDonnell, another one. Supreme Court had to slap down those federal prosecutors. And this, folks, I'm, I don't even have notes in front of me for this. I'm just rattling this off the top of my head. And then you look at the other side. Hillary Clinton, anything there? Oh, no, no charges, no charges. Absolutely violated criminal statutes in the handling of classified information and the destruction of evidence, by the way. And I'm sure if they had tried to actually write down what they were saying or record them, they would have gotten Huma and Cheryl Mills and Hillary lying and lying and lying 
I don't recall the answer to that one. Something is really rotten and wrong. And yes, there is a cabal. There is a Mully, uh, Mully, Muller, Comey, McCabe cabal. There is. There are these people that are involved in these very high-profile investigations that have come down on uh, on this issue in a way that is obviously partisan time and again. And we need to put a stop to this. And I used to think that maybe we could convince them to stop abusing their power if we just spoke up about it. But now I'm convinced, and this is where I get back to yesterday and today, fight fire with fire. McCabe lied. The OIG makes it clear. The inspector general, the FBI, makes it plain and simple. McCabe's a liar. Lied to federal investigators about matters that affect the United States government, that affect the presidency. He's got to face, he's got to pay the piper. He's got to face the full weight of the law the same way time and again in his career he has done that to others. He has jammed up people for far less. And if he has a problem with this, if he thinks that he's allowed to lie, whereas the rest of us can't, just take a look back at what Comey says in his book about how proud he is of the Martha Stewart prosecution. Again, I'm not some big Martha Stewart fan, but come on. She does make the best pheasant-scented cinnamon sticks, which she matches to all of the drapes in the house. Uh, But really, it's time that we hold these people accountable, and the only way we can do that is to make sure that they suffer the same consequences that they would enforce upon all the rest of us. So when the IG has now, as the IG has now turned over McCabe to the U.S. attorney for possible criminal charges, they better have a darn good reason why they don't charge him. And it better not be we're just exercising our discretion on his behalf. Enough of that. We know that discretion is a one-way street these days when it comes to high-profile federal cases and the conservatives get hosed. That's enough. No more of that. And Democrats get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Speaking of get-out-of-jail-free cards and Democrats and all the rest of it, it's not just McCabe who's in some hot water today. Comey. Oh, he's on his book tour. He's talking a lot. You know, Comey forgot something very important. He's probably forgotten a lot of things that are very important, like don't be a huge weirdo. But when you are even possibly going to be under suspicion for anything, don't talk a lot. As I always tell you, and this is free legal advice for me to you, if you ever, ever, ever are arrested, say nothing. Not, officer, I'm sure I'm innocent. Not, hey, can I get a donut? Hey, do you want a donut? They won't like that. You say nothing. Comey's been saying a lot. Comey has made it very easy for some of us to say, hold on a second. Based on some of your public statements, uh, you got some, you've got some explaining to do. And we're going to find out some stuff now that could lead to a criminal referral about James Comey as well. Oh, what am I talking about? What is this delicious tease that I have thrown out there? Stay with me. We'll be right back. Not everybody loves Comey, despite what he seems to think. The entirety of America is not around like, oh, Comey is the man we've been waiting for. That is not the case. Comey uh, got heckled, actually, at a book signing. Now, look, anyone can get heckled. But am I going to enjoy the audio we have of Comey getting heckled in particular? Yes, I am, because why not? It's my Freedom Hut, and I'll do with it what I want. Play clip 14. How is 
it ethical to brief the president of the United States on an unverifiable and salacious dossier? And how is it ethical leadership to not tell him that his political opposition, Hillary Clinton, paid for that? You are not an ethical leader. Ma'am, you're going to have to leave. You're going to get prosecuted, Comey. You're going to get locked up. Now, you might think that that uh, that lady sounds a little bit like she could use a nap or something, that she's a little, little, little tense. But maybe she's right about Comey. Maybe, uh, maybe Comey's in some trouble. Before I get to that, though, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you on the cliffhanger with this one. Before I get to that, uh, her allegation about how you know, he briefed a, an unverified dossier. I, I got to tell you, if I had ever tried that, I can just tell you this. If When I was a, a little CIA analyst, you know, way, way uh, down the org chart, and I had said, hey, you know what we should do? We should tell the president about this piece of total garbage oppo research just so he knows it's out there. People would have been like, we're going to escort you out now and you're not allowed back. But Comey thought this was a good idea. Comey doesn't have any good answers as to why he thought it was a good idea, but play 18. In January 2017, when you met with President Trump and you did that oral presentation of what's in uh, the two-page memo summarizing the Steele dossier, we know from the book that you talked about these unverified allegations involving him and prostitutes. Um, did, you, did you brief him about any, any of the other things in the Steele dossier, claims that his associates, uh, Michael Cohen or Paul Manafort, uh, were potentially working with the Russians, or was it only about the prostitutes? It was only about the salacious uh, part of it. Why? Why only about that? Because that was the part that the leaders of the intelligence community agreed he needed to be told about because we knew it and thought it was about to become public. And if it was true, we didn't know whether it was true, it would be important to let him know this as part of a defensive briefing. No, no, no. By the way, the leaders of the intel community, you mean like Clapper and Brennan, who are rabidly anti-Trump, I mean, hate Trump. They wanted him to know? I think they were trolling him. I think they were extending a particular finger in Trump's direction. I do not think they were trying to do the president of the United States a solid, and I do not think that they were respecting the power of the offices they held at two of the top intel positions. And also, I think they wanted to get it into the official record. But let's talk about Comey's official record coming up. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. The Justice Department uh, is also expected today to begin the process of letting Congress see your memos detailing your interactions with President Trump. Is that the right decision to let Congress see them? I don't know, because I don't know what considerations the department has taken into account. It's fine by me. You don't care. I don't care. I don't have any I don't have any views on it. I'm totally fine with transparency. I've tried to be transparent throughout this. And I think what folks will see if they get to see the memos is I've been consistent since the very beginning, right after my encounters with President Trump. And I'm consistent in the book and try to be transparent in the book as well. Now, Comey's memos might be uh, going to be shared with Congress, but they also um, they also may make their way beyond just that. Comey's memos, if they get seen by the public, would be quite interesting, I think. Here's what's going on. We've heard from 
at least I think it was Chuck Grassley, that there was classified information there. And now reporting from CNN and others is that the memos are going to be made public. Here's meaning. So it's one thing for Congress to see them, but then they may be made public beyond that. And this is how this is going to go down. Um, they can't redact what is in the memos for classified reasons, because then there is absolutely uh, no question. Comey would have leaked classified information to the media right after leaving the FBI. And he's going to be facing charges unless he gets the, the full Hillary treatment and all of a sudden the law isn't the law anymore. But I don't know if Comey can count on someone else to pull a Comey for him the way he did for Hillary. I don't know. So he might be in some trouble. So they can't redact the information. What I think is more likely, you know, so that you're not going to get memos released with blacked out lines because that's going to be, uh, so you're saying Comey released classified. That's not going to happen. If they release them publicly, though, um, then it would be a question of, well, is this information that could be even considered at the lowest level of classification, for example, is a meeting with the president between the FBI director uh, or with the FBI director just that discusses anything of substance considered classified information? The answer is yes. So if the FBI director, Comey, sat down with Trump and all they talked about was, uh, you know, hey, like, you know, if it was Hillary, she's like, yoga and weddings. But, you know, if they all they did was talk about stuff that no one really cares about. OK, fine. You know, if it's, hey, you know, Jim, just want to know that you're on board with the new administration and maybe come over to the residence and have, you know, dinner with me and Melania. OK, yeah, that's not classified. Right. I'm, I'm not trying to be dishonest about this. And I'm not trying to be sanctimonious. You like that, right? I'm having fun with it now. But if there's any substantive information in there, a, a conversation that deals with even policy issues in a, in, with any specificity between the FBI director and the president could very well be, in fact, I would think in most cases, would be considered classified information, at least at the level of confidential, right? lowest level of classification. Uh, so what would that mean, folks? If they release information that's borderline could be classified, but they're going to say it's not classified. Uh, a lot of us are going to say, so the fix is in once again, right? Because they know that they can't, they can't release stuff that uh, is redacted. And I think that there's a very good chance that we'll see this causes, this causes some issues one way or another. Um, if the Comey memos are made public, then we will see, first of all, what Comey was trying to construct as a narrative. Keep in mind, this is just his handwritten so you're not going to find anything bad about Comey in this. This is a one-sided record. One of the reasons I would note, and this is an important aside, this is your free, well, it's not really legal advice because I'm not a lawyer, so don't, don't, I'm not actually giving legal advice, but you know, your, your free bit of legal wisdom. Uh, you never want to sit down and allow, and people will argue with me on this, and that's fine. You want an actual recording of a conversation that you would have. And what, by, what, by the way, how am I wrong here already? Don't talk to the FBI. You don't have a lawyer, don't talk to the FBI. That's it. There's there's not a like a, a maybe, a sort of, a kind of, don't talk to the FBI. Because I know all the people listening to this show, if you ever had to talk to the FBI under bad circumstances, it would be, you know, for like a minor thing. You know what I mean? 
If you're if if there if there's like the lone axe murderer who's listening to this show somewhere, uh, you should talk to the FBI, sir. You you talk to them a lot. But for the rest of you, I don't want you getting jammed up on something small or or even like getting scooter libbied. Now, granted, he had lawyers and everything else, but they were going after him. So you could be 100 percent innocent. That's why I'm telling you, don't talk to the FBI. But also, if you are going to talk to them, don't allow for it to just be a record based on their recollections written down, because they will use that in court and that will be the only record. You want an actual recording of the conversation so there can be no doubt about not just the specific words, but tone, intention. You know, look at all the process crimes. Look at the way they go after people. And what they go after them for minor stuff. When was the last time you spoke to so and so? Oh, you said it was September. It was actually August. Guilty. Go to prison. So with Comey, the memos are going to be a one sided Comeyist, dare I even say, revision of whatever the conversation was. So keep that in mind. Um, and I'm sure you'll see, you know, Comey reminds me of one of these guys who. I think it's Dwight Schrute in Office Space who like writes himself in as the hero in, in his own, you know, his own novels or books. A- am I right, John? Oh, the, I'm sorry. The, the Office. That's what I meant. Yeah. Dwight Schrute in The Office. I know. I got Office Space in the mind. In The Office. You know, he's the hero of his own his own screenplays or novels or whatever. You know, other people have done that. Uh, that's what Comey is. He's like the, the one great honest man in America who's just trying to bring truth and justice for all. Uh, and making a lot of money by going around trashing a sitting president doing it and playing dirty. There's no question. I mean, what he did was really unethical uh, to use his position as FBI director to wage a partisan war to to uh, engage in his own little petty vendetta. And use a cutout in the process and get the New York Times. And I'm not the only one who thinks it's gross. Well, there's obviously the Dersh. We'll get to the Dersh in a second. What's up, Dersh? Uh, but there's also Jonathan Turley, the constitutional law professor. He talked about this. Play clip seven. I think that many career people at the at the Justice Department must really find this quite repulsive. The, the very notion of a former FBI director writing a tell-all book uh, is a virtual contradiction in terms. You know, FBI directors have valued uh, their circumspection. You know, they, they need to have presidents trust them. And Comey has, just, has really destroyed that. The fact that he rushed this book out is inexcusable. He was the head of this investigation and is now one of the cooperating witnesses. Nobody would suggest that this book is benefiting the investigation. To the contrary, he's undermining his role as a witness. And so the question is, why is he doing it? And the answer is rather obvious. He's going to make a lot of money. But in the process, he's going to do untold harm to the institution he once headed. You'll remember, of course, we've been told all along that uh, Trump is the one doing damage to institutions. Meanwhile, how could after this Donald Trump, unless he had a, you know, I think he trusts Pompeo, right? There are other people. But how could he trust anybody who was a holdover from the Obama administration at a senior level? He'd be foolish to. And how could any incoming president think that the FBI director that he or she inherited uh, would be? not possibly a political liability. This does absolutely undermine the confidence. And, and by the way, on my point about the discussions had 
between a president and a and a cabinet level official or, or with the FBI director. One of the reasons that information, yeah, it, it's stuff that you don't want your enemies to know about, so you have to classify it so it's protected. But it all seems to be classified because it's protected within the government. If the president can't have a candid discussion with the attorney general or the head of the FBI, it impairs his ability to function as effectively as he could otherwise. So Comey's doing real damage here. Oh, yeah. And he's also weighing in on an ongoing investigation with a book and countless interviews after leaking information. You know, there are all these people who are so and I I had a few I don't know if we call them conservatives anymore, but I had a few right of center friends who were saying, Buck, you know, I've, I've heard you say deep state before. You, you can't use that term. And then I have to smack them around a little bit gently because they're you know people that I'm I'm friendly with. Say, look, first of all, I actually know the derivation of deep state and can tell you the history of it. And if you want to talk about all the coups in Turkey in the 20th century, I can do that. You know, let, let's let's put that aside for a moment. Unlike some other people running around that actually can, can get into this at a level that I don't think I don't think you want to go there. Uh, but also, what are we to call this? When you have a, a cabal, when you have a group of politically energized and dedicated opponents of the current administration using high office to try to bring down a president, what is that? If not some form of deep state. I'm not saying the deep state is the entire federal government. I'm just saying there is a deep state within the federal government. I think that's fair. And we see more and more evidence of it all the time I, you know when you start to look at this and, and line it all up uh you know let's understand that they're really destroying these institutions that they are pretending donald trump is destroying I saw this uh this tweet i think this is from chuck ross over the daily caller worth a reminder mccabe who was fired over a lack of candor and is now referred for investigation sent peter struck who was demoted from Mueller's team to interview Michael Flynn, who was charged with lying to the FBI. I mean, this stuff is a mess, and it's just going to get messier. And the more truth we find out, the more we realize, yeah, no collusion. That's been true all along. Trump is right. But the other side, they have gone into the darkness because of their anti-Trump mania. And McCabe and Comey, one of them... As we say in the NYPD, one of them's going to get jammed up. It's going to get jammed up. It's going to happen. I'm not sure which one. Maybe both. Maybe get a twofer. But someone's getting jammed. Uh, 844-900-2825. If you want to chat, my friends, 844-900-BUCK. Be uh, back in just a sec. Lines are lit, team, so uh, let's get into it. We've got Jake in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Hey, Jake. Hello? I don't hear Jake. Yes, I'm right here. There you are, sir. What's up? Well, I heard you speaking about uh, the reasons for uh, uh, Comey talking about the dossier with Trump, and I kind of think of it this way. I think because of everything that was going on that he was involved with, that Comey was involved with, that he was very unstable and insecure about 
himself and his position. And I think in the meeting that he had before this with Trump, Trump kind of was dismissive with him. And so uh, he even said in the interview that he had with Stephanopoulos that uh, when he did this, Stephanopoulos asked him why he did it, and he said something about, well, I wanted to show him that he needed to ha- uh, have those daily briefings. And I think the reason he wanted Trump to have those daily briefings is because he needed to have time with Trump so he could kiss up to him so he could ensure that he would stay as FBI director. Well, you know, Jake, I think you've hit on something that's that's important, and, and that is that uh, Comey would have been perfectly happy to work with Trump, work for Trump as FBI director if he could stay FBI director, right? He's kind of – Comey is, is a scorned man. He, he's not a – a guy who, uh, you know, he, he poses as a martyr, but he's really like a scorned individual who feels like he was done wrong by the president. So now he wants his revenge. And that's where I that's where I think, uh, well, you know, a lot of people, by the way, have noticed the really the, the childishness and the nastiness of some of Comey's commentary about Trump. I do think you're right uh, that he wanted FaceTime with him. He wanted FaceTime with the president. And I can tell you and thank you for calling in, Jake. I can tell you from my own time in government that, uh, and and I had some FaceTime with the with a previous president during briefings. That man, when you're in the federal bureaucracy, time with POTUS, President of the United States, there's uh, there's nothing else that gets most folks as excited as that. Professionally speaking, they really want to get in front of the the guy, who's, the guy, or one day maybe the gal who's calling the shots. Butch in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Hey, Butch. How are you, Buck? Good evening. To I'm you. good. Thank you for your call. Thank you for what you do and trying to get the truth out there. Uh, my Thank comment you. is that a lot of these people, there, there's only two words used in our Constitution against people who are trying to overthrow and take over our government. And one of those words is treason, which everybody knows. But very few people understand the meaning of the word sedition. And I recommend they look that word up and look at the definition. That fits a lot of people uh, trying to go against our government, against our president, uh, in a lot of cases, including somebody like uh, George Soros. You know, so I think if they're not guilty of treason, they could easily be brought to bear for sedition. But you rarely hear that word used anymore. But it is yeah, sedition country. is encouraging others to basically turn against state authority, right? So that's uh, either there's or, the Alien and Sedition or, Acts of, I think, 1802, which we could talk about another time, but they were quite unconstitutional at the time. Uh, we actually have a long history in this country of truncating free speech when it annoys the federal government enough. We think we're the free speech country, but we barely are. Um, but thank you very much for right. calling in, Butch. Uh, I do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, that's where you, you do run into... Uh, you do run into the realities of people being in very senior government roles who are advocating for really disruption of the government. You know, they want impeachment, removal of the president, all the rest of it. Uh, Carl in uh, Lafayette, West Lafayette, Indiana. Hey, Carl. Hey, Buck. Uh, I sent you a message on Facebook. I don't know if you got it about the the Swiss lab that uh, is confirming that it was not actually Novichok used in the assassination attempt. And that was a, it was a toxin called something BZ toxin. And um, the whole point is, if that wasn't, 
Novichok, and we got a whole different situation on our hands. Uh, well, I got to look at this up. I haven't. I I will go through more of the Facebook. Uh, obviously, at the end of the show during roll call, and also tonight when I uh, when I get home. Um, but I'll take a look at this piece. I, don't, I can't speak to it because I haven't read it, and I would want to see. I mean, my first impulse is who's the source on this one? You know, who's in charge of uh, putting that forward? But we will. I'll keep an eye out, and I appreciate you raising it to my attention. Thank you very much, sir. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Hour two is here. We've been discussing a lot about uh, Comey and McCabe and how they could be in some hot water. And uh, it might be might be justice, in fact, that they are going to be subject to. Uh, But I I wanted to follow up on our Starbucks story. In fact, earlier today. I was in a Starbucks because I'm on the road, and I was thinking about it. Second most populous, or not popular, uh, most numerous, there you go. I think it's the second most numerous franchise in the country now, 8,000. I might be making up that. I know it's 8,000 stores. Don't quote me on the second most populous. That's probably wrong, although there are Starbucks everywhere. Uh, But this uh, story is continuing on, as I knew it would. The social justice warriors have leaned into it all the way. And MSNBC has gone into full uh, racial teaching mode, right? They want to they want to have a teaching moment, a teachable moment for the country based on this. And in order to do that, it has to be about not just this incident, not just Starbucks, but you guessed it, systemic racism in general, or as it's called now, unconscious bias. I think it's interesting. They use the term unconscious bias, I think, because it's less offensive to some people who have you know who are of goodwill on this or well-intentioned if you tell someone that you need unconscious bias training they may say yeah okay i think i need that if you tell someone that you need to learn to not be a racist they they hopefully will say uh i'm not a racist though so what are you doing right so there's reasons why they call these things what they call them uh, but you had uh, dante robinson and rashawn nelson Uh, who have spoken out now. They're the two individuals from the Philadelphia Starbucks incident. Uh, They have spoken out. We have a a clip from them, 13. I want to make sure that this situation doesn't happen again. So what I want is for a young man or young men to not be traumatized by this and instead motivated, inspired. And what do you want, Rashawn? So, you know, take this opportunity as as a stepping stone, you know, to really stand up and, you know, show your greatness and that you are not judged by the color of your skin as our ancestors were or anyone else. Just really taking those actions and putting them into place and, you know, help people understand that it's not just a black people thing. This is a people thing. And that's exactly what we want to see out of this. And that's true change. So put action into place and stop using your words. Now, these two gentlemen uh, are, you know, saying very sensible things, and uh, and I I can't I can't fault the messaging. Now, um, I think that you know they're they're speaking out and they feel very passionately about the subject, and that's all fine. I just would like some answers to some some questions, though, if not from them, uh, from some others about exactly what happened here. 
Uh, for example, why is it now that the Philadelphia Police Commissioner has completely reversed himself and is backing uh, backing off of supporting the cops in this incident? In the the chain of events here was you have two black guys in a Starbucks. They're there for a meeting. They won't buy anything. They're asked to buy something. They say they're not going to buy anything. And then the police are called within a couple of minutes of them being there. And we, I, I think we haven't heard anything from the, and uh, producer Mike, let me know if this, this is off base. I don't think we've heard anything from the store manager still. The police arrived, and I did see reports that these two, uh, these two gentlemen, uh, these two uh, uh, black men who were at the Starbucks, refused to leave when they were told to leave by the cops. And so then the cops put the cuffs on them. And as far as I can tell, that's completely legitimate behavior from the police's perspective, right? If, you, if, you're, in a pri- if you're on private property, you won't leave. You get arrested. You know, otherwise, the whole notion of private property kind of starts to fade away real fast. But initially, the police, you can't tell me that the commissioner didn't know the facts of the case. Come on, right? Big national story and didn't happen, right? He was backing them up until yesterday. Why switch? Why the, the change? Um, you have uh, the uh, commissioner. I'm trying to grab his name here as I'm going. And just so you know that uh, Starbucks store manager, they said is no longer with the company. But you're right. Yeah, we haven't heard from him at all. Yeah. So so we know that the manager's gone, but uh, we, we don't get to hear from the manager. Do we know anything about the manager? As far as I understand, nothing. Uh, and I also, like I said, I would want to know why the police commissioner many days after the incident is saying I back my officers 100 percent. And then is completely changing his tune and saying that he, quote, made the situation worse. Now, the police commissioner is African-American, by the way. I'm, tr- I'm trying to find his name here, but uh, made the situation worse um, by backing the cops. So I would like to know. And by the way, uh, Mike, why don't we grab that? Uh, if we have the audio of the commissioner speaking, I'd like to just just play that on air for the for the record. Um, what did he find out that was new? What did he get going that was, uh, or what what did he come upon that was different from what he knew yesterday? Is it possible that the commissioner feels a bit of political pressure here to change what he said? And what does that mean for those uh, those officers who made the arrest? Are they going to be sacrificed in this whole effort to be on the right side of this politically charged issue? I want to know some stuff. Also would like to know, this is a Starbucks, I'm assuming, and uh, Mike told me, uh, Richard Ross is the name of the uh, police commissioner in Philadelphia. And uh, also, producer Mike said it was almost 14,000 Starbucks stores in the U.S. I thought it was 8,000. I'm uh, Samsonite. I was way off. Um, so I would like to know, is there a video? You know, it, it, this is, remember, it's been a few days here. And you know, look, no. Also, let's keep in mind, it's not like the police are overwhelmed, okay? They're, they're not... You know, they're not combing through the wreckage after an explosion. Okay, You know, a couple of guys were asked to leave. It seems like people have uh, very real concerns that there was some racial bias involved. And we'd like to just know what happened. But I, I would like additional information. And I think uh, one of the things we'd want to know is, well, isn't there a video camera? Do we do we get the so so we don't get to hear the cop side of the story. The police commissioner changes his side of the story. We don't hear from the store manager in question. And we don't seem to be shown 
we only we're only shown the the social media video, which the people that were claiming there was racism were the ones who posted. I would like to know what the store video shows. Is is everything exactly as described by those who are claiming a bias here? Uh, so this is this is not going to like I said, it's not going to go away anytime soon. By the way, it's going to cost Starbucks a lot of money. It's not going to be cheap to shut down all of their many thousands of stores for a day to do unconscious bias training. Um, and I'm telling you, it's just a matter. This now sets a, a precedent that when there's a company that is not as woke friendly as Starbucks, that has even the mere allegation of any kind of a racial bias or impropriety, the entire social justice machinery and activists and everything else will just, they will make the place crumble. I mean, they will go after it with everything they've got. Um, and, uh, oh, oh, one more thing before I uh, switch up the topics here. Oh, and I can't switch up. because Yesterday we had uh, the guy whose video was going kind of viral who went into the stores. I've got a follow-up for you on that. Uh, but one other thing, I can't help but notice, and now I'm really tying together our conversation from the last hour with what we're talking about now. Isn't it funny to you? And I don't mean funny like ha-ha. I mean funny like hmm. That when the press reports on local law enforcement, they don't get the benefit of the doubt, right? Cops, constables on patrol, do not get the benefit of the doubt. They are uh, often covered by the press. In any incident that's newsworthy, police in general are going to be treated as uh, systemically, if not racist, at least racially insensitive and the the you know, part of the school, the prison pipeline problem. And there, there's just a lot of, and when there's a, a cop said versus perp said, as that's what the cops would call it, perp for perpetrator. When there's a cop said perp said situation, we know that the mainstream media always sides with the perp, right? Or, or in this case, the, the, the would be perp would be what you could say if you don't believe the person's even a perpetrator, but, or the alleged perp. Um, when it comes to the FBI, there can be no criticism. The FBI is beyond reproach, especially FBI senior leadership, which has to be praised constantly and defended vociferously. Seems weird, right? Because actually federal law enforcement is much more likely to be uh, politically abusive. Federal law enforcement has all kinds of authorities and, and resources uh, that local law enforcement do not. So you would think that they'd be even more on the watch for the abuse and I'm not saying that federal law enforcement is good or bad in this area. I'm just saying they're watchdogs. The media are watchdogs against local cops, state police. They're they're always on the lookout for what they're doing. But the FBI, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the FBI is uh, a hollowed institution that is beyond suspicion or reproach. I think that's what you. I think that's a little convenient. I think there's some clues here that make us think that perhaps there's a there's an agenda behind that. And the wagon circling around McCabe at Comey and, and then also outside of that in the IC, Brennan and uh, Clapper and Yates and Strzok and all these people. Interesting that they're willing to put aside all their concerns about abuse of federal government power and police power and uh, the disparities between class and race and culture as to how the federal government deals with them. And that's all gone. FBI, good. Local cops, not so good. That's the way that that's the way the media treats it. I'm always like, hmm, I think we should uh, give that a little more attention because 
It's not because they love the FBI so much, folks. Uh, 844-900-2825. Lines open. Stay with me. incident that has been in the news about this great city, Um, an incident that I fully acknowledge that I played a significant role in making worse. For starters, I should have said the officers acted within the scope of the law and not that they didn't do anything wrong. Words are very important. While it is no excuse, my lack of awareness of the Starbucks business model played a role in my message. So what I'm confused here, that's the police commissioner of Philadelphia was backing up his officers in the Starbucks incident. Now he's saying they acted within the scope of the law, but it was still a problem. Um, I mean, or acted within the scope of their duties. So, okay, what what's the issue then? And why is he explaining what they did wrong or how they were wrong if they acted within the scope of the law? Also note that he's taking personal responsibility for making it worse. I think this is just, you know, look, the uh, the woke activists out there have become very powerful. And they, now the woke is now that you've heard me saying it a lot, just in case you're wondering, it's the, it's the term for being socially conscious as a social justice warrior, basically. I think that's a good working definition of it. Uh, but... I look, I, I can tell you this. I wouldn't want to be those two officers. You got your commissioner saying that, yeah, what they did was technically okay, but it was really bad. No, that's not how this is supposed to work. Uh, by the way, I mentioned yesterday uh, where we actually played the audio for you of this guy demanding free coffee. Just in case you forgot, play 11. I heard you guys don't like black people, so I wanted to get my Starbucks reparations voucher. It's not a real thing. I mean, I'll give it to you. I yeah, I saw that on my Twitter last night. I was like, yeah, I need, I need a free coffee. That's what I'm talking about. This is justice. This is justice. I said, if you remember, I'm like, we couldn't authenticate this, and it seemed. you know, it looked like he might just be doing and, and it turned out it was a stunt. It is a stunt. So I didn't want to just let this let this lie. I wanted to actually come back to it. This guy was intentionally uh, trolling Starbucks, if you will. And he explained his name is Brian Sharp. Um, here's what he had. Now, he's up. He was doing it for effect. Right. It wasn't it's not that he thought that this was really a campaign that he was demanding reparations for coffee or anything like that. He's just trying to show how people can use these situations for their own benefit, but I'll let him speak for himself. Play clip 12. I am sick and tired of liberals using black people and making us look like victims, making us look soft with their liberal dogma. It is disgusting. The other thing I hate about liberals is if you're a black man, as I am, in America, they will not hand you a microphone unless you follow the liberal narrative. And I said, you know what? I bet if I go into Starbucks and I follow a liberal narrative, I'll make the news. And voila, here I am. Indeed. He made the news and he's here on the show. Um I got some calls I want to take here. Uh, David in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hey, David. How's it going? It's good. Thanks for your call. I had a speculation that the reason why you haven't heard anything about the manager at the Starbucks 
is maybe the manager is the of the same national origin as the two gentlemen. That's positive. It's certainly positive. That's what I. By the way, I, I don't expect that somebody in this situation would like come out and address the press or something. But we, as far as I understand it, we know very little. I, I haven't really seen any reporting on even who the manager was or or anything about him. I don't even know. Are we assuming? Do we know if he's male, producer Mike? I'm, I can't remember. I know the other one was female. Cause she's in the video. But so you're saying, David, that that would affect it because. You know, because well, it's t- people aren't racist against their own race. I'll just tell you that they'll, they'll say, because this comes up with police uh, racism, they'll say that even, for example, a black or Latino police officer who engages with uh, minorities as an officer in certain ways can be imposing unconscious bias because they're in a position of authority and a structure that is created to oppress non-white minorities, right? I mean, this is... I obviously do a lot of reading about how the, or I'm very familiar with how the uh, the left frames these uh, these issues. But so that wouldn't necessarily be a, a game changer for the narrative. But I I do have my questions about why is that we don't know more about this, and there's certainly more information that could be brought to bear. I appreciate you calling in, David. Thank you very much for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I I this is uh, I have a feeling we're not going to get complete answers here uh, anytime soon. And Starbucks is using this as a as a teachable moment and is going to be literally teaching its own employees, I guess, how to deal with these situations. I would also note that it was fun to read some of these pieces that were out there about how, uh, you know, and people were saying it too on social media. Well, you know, it's not really clear that you have to, you know, restaurants for customers only. It's not a real thing. Um, Well, it is a real thing. It's a real thing, and we all know it is, right? So why am I reading think pieces, not that there's much thinking going on in them, in USA Today or, or other places? I think I saw one in USA Today. I've seen a few of these articles. They're like, is, is, does Starbucks really require a purchase to sit there? And I mean, I can tell you this. My, you know, unless I get some other permission, my assumption is that if I'm going to be using the facilities uh, for a public accommodation, like a restaurant or a cafe or whatever, I always act on the assumption that, yeah, that's right. They're running a business. And, you know, if, if you can't pay for some reason, let's say, you know, I lost my wallet or don't have any money on me or something, you know, maybe I'd ask management. But if management said no, I wouldn't have some big problem with it because I understand, right? They, they're they running a business. And, yeah, I don't even have to sit down and, and talk about it this way. But, you know, they're buying paper towel and toilet paper and, you know, there's there's stuff that goes into it, right? So, Anyway, the Starbucks thing is uh, something we're going to have to keep following because it's going to be staying around for a bit. Uh, we've got uh, some updates on the case into the musician Prince's uh, overdose from opioids. And I wanted to talk to you a bit about that case. I was reading up on it today. So what happened to Prince? We will discuss. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Prince, the uh, musician, died of a drug overdose in 2016. Today we have the uh, final decision of the authorities not to file any criminal charges against anyone, uh, despite all the speculation and the fact that 
you know, they know what the drug was that he had and, and everything else that was going on around it. Uh, a doctor, Michael Schulenberg, who had been treating Prince right before his death, has agreed to a $30,000 federal civil violation for an illegal prescription, but he admits no liability as part of the settlement and will not. Um, and he has said along that he never gave someone prescription drugs with the idea that they would be uh, rerouted to uh, Prince. I'm just realizing now I actually don't know Prince's, I would call him by his uh, legal name, but anyway, I'm just going to call him Prince. So, Here's what we found out about the case, though. I, I didn't know this, and it was interesting to me. Uh, Prince thought he was taking Vicodin. And this is going to tie into our discussions about um, opioids and the opiate epidemic, obviously. Uh, Prince thought he was taking Vicodin, but they found a lot of pills that he had that were illegal uh, that had fentanyl. Now, fentanyl can be. I actually know someone who's uh, had a family member who was on fentanyl. I was talking to her about it recently. Uh, because he was uh, battling cancer. So fentanyl can be used legally, and it's in patch form when you use it legally, but it's coming into the U.S. in large quantities illegally because it's a simple process to make. Fentanyl is not hard to make. I don't know how to make it, but I think it's a f either a three- or four-step chemical process to make it, and it is a 100 times more powerful than or can be 100 times more powerful than the uh, over-the-counter opioids that people have become familiar with, Percocet, uh, Percocet, Vicodin, Oxycontin. And what happened here with Prince was that he thought he was taking Vicodin. But because he got the pills on the black market, what he was taking were actually uh, illegal fentanyl pills that they were being that they were selling as Vicodin to people. So this is just a reminder of how uh, dangerous it is. And, and one of the reasons why I understand why the regulations in place on drugs that are, uh, I guess, Schedule 2, right? Schedule 1 is just illegal stuff. Schedule 2 under the Controlled Substances Act is uh, prescriptions that are prescription drugs that have a use but are still very tightly controlled. They're controlled substances. And they need to regulate this stuff because it's, one, very dangerous. It can be very dangerous even if you're trying to not engage in the illegal market. But the moment you step out of the regulated markets, you don't know what you're getting. You know, the moment you're buying something that's been put in some bottle or I don't, even, I don't know how people get these illegal pills in the black market these days. Because uh, you know, if you take fentanyl one time and it's the wrong dose, you can die very easily. Um, fentanyl's potency is so strong that people have to show up in hazmat suits. EMS has to come in in hazmat suits for fear of coming into skin contact with fentanyl at an overdose site. So now look, Prince is a, a, one of the more visible, uh, one of the more visible, one of the most visible, I think, in the last decade or so of those who are uh, you know celebrities and uh, have overdosed on something that's either heroin or an, an opioid or opiate. And uh, well, Philip Seymour Hoffman as well. What ends up happening with these guys is they get into it via the pills. Prince apparently had chronic pain in his hip and he started taking the pills and they helped. Uh, but then you develop a tolerance for it. You start taking more, start taking more. And then you find out that it's easier uh, to, especially if you become addicted, it's easier to get it uh, illegally in many ways than it is to have to go through a legitimate doctor because the doctor may say, well, hold on, we got to slow you down. We got to figure this out. 
And if you are addicted to any opiate or any opioid, you you do not want to hear from anyone that you can't have it. The more I've read, and I, this is some of my thoughts on this come from uh, being almost done with the book uh, Dreamland. I actually uh, tweeted at Sam Canonis to tell him how much I'm enjoying his book. He's an L.A. Times reporter uh, or was an L.A. Times reporter. I don't know what he does these days. Uh, he might still be there. I, I just don't know. But his book, Dreamland, is is phenomenal, and it, really all of you should read it. And those of you, it's one of those books that I've mentioned on air a few times just because I think it's so important to have an, uh, for us to have an understanding of what's going on in the country right now with the opioid epidemic. Um, those who have actually taken me up on it and started to read it have been writing me to say, you know, that's a really, it's a really good book. And it's a, it's a story that we all should know how this happened, how we got to this point where if you are, you know, aged, uh, you know, what I think it's 25 to 55 now or 18 to 55 and you are you're suffering an untimely demise in this country it's not it's more likely to be opiates than from a car accident so that's really that's just a profound statement in and of itself Um, but there's so much danger in taking these substances and they're they flooded into the country they're all over the place there's a lot of them on the, on the black market just from people that are reselling their prescriptions. Uh, there are a lot of people that are bringing them into the country. I mean, look, I'm, if I had more time, I'd actually try to go down to the border. Right now, I'm only about a 30-minute drive from uh, Tijuana, maybe 35-minute drive. Uh, and I would like to go see what's going on in the San Diego border sector, but i got to get back to the East Coast. But that's something on my list for another time. I'm really curious to see how things are going down there, and I'd like to set up some discussions and interviews with uh, whoever could speak to me from Border Patrol. I know that's going to be a very uh, that's politically sensitive. Right now, you've got the governor, Governor Brown, who won't allow basically anything to be done to help Border Patrol by the National Guard. Right, National Guard is not to be used in any way, shape, or form that takes the load off of, of Border Patrol, which is just another way of the governor of California saying... He is a, he is pro illegal immigration. He's not trying to limit it. He's not sympathetic to illegal immigrants. He is pro illegal immigration. Full stop. That's a big change from even where the Democrat Party was ten or fifteen years ago. I like how Trump is uh, responding by saying that we're not going to or that that you know he's not going to pay for it now. You know I like it. Trump needs to hit back on this stuff. Uh, the country needs to see what some of these elected officials really believe and and how they're spending tax dollars. Uh, but, you know, if I were in my in my earlier days, I guess I'm still, you know, I'm not married, don't have kids, so maybe I could justify it in my head to do it. I still want to get down into the southern tip of uh, Baja, the Baja Peninsula and just talk to some of the authorities, journalists, whoever I could, about what's going on now in the, uh, the Cabo, the area of, the, of Cabo San Lucas and, and the cities around it, uh, which is now more violent than at any time. Uh, anytime in, in history, I believe. So, And the drug cartels are all tied into this. Drug cartels are making so much money now via the heroin trade, and it's all coming in through Mexico. Even the illegal fentanyl that China is making in big vats come into Mexico and then are trans-shipped into the United States via these same smuggling pipelines that get illegal aliens in the country, and then the dealers hide in the illegal immigrant population and the illegal alien population of major cities. And in smaller cities where there's been so much illegal immigration in the last 20 or 30 years that places you wouldn't necessarily think of. And I know a lot of you are listening like, oh, Buck, trust me, in my town, we got a lot of illegal immigrants and you know, we're a city of 50 or 100,000, not, not a big city. 
but the the dealers hide uh, among the the rest of the population, and they switch them out too. It's a very a very important part of the strategy. The dealers come and go, so they go back to Mexico, and that means that it's a lot harder to bring cases against them, and you got to get them while they're here, and uh, and people are losing their lives. Prince Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and just last year alone. 64,000 other Americans who had futures that they never were able to see because of uh, what's going on with illegal illegal drugs primarily now. Uh, fentanyl, top of the list, and also heroin. So uh, interesting that they, they, they couldn't figure out who gave Prince the pill is really what it came down to. Who gave him this fentanyl that he thought was Vicodin? They have information to to, uh, to prove that he didn't think he was taking fentanyl. He I, I don't know if he would have known how dangerous that was or... Uh, but they couldn't prove it, so no one's going to be charged with anything. Uh, even though someone gave him illegal drugs that were mis uh, mislabeled, and now we you know we lost a, a great a great musician, uh, but we lose Americans every day to this. Whether someone's a musician or not, we really shouldn't. Uh, you know, we think about this in terms of what gets attention, but each each American life that's lost this epidemic is a tragedy, and it requires a much more uh, robust, not just government response right we think the government's going to solve this but we need to know more about this and how it happens and where it's happening and how to combat it and why we are in the midst of this as a country and this is this is an all hands on deck situation this is a a, a true crisis so i was thinking about this today as i was reading the update from the case um dealing with prince um and uh we've got uh, we've got more coming team i will be discussing the latest with north korea uh, a big concession coming from the North Korean side of the upcoming summit between Trump and Kim Jong-un that makes me think, OK, this is actually moving in a direction where we could see some stuff happen. It's not just going to be, a you know, they show up, shake hands or high five or whatever, and then Trump and Kim Jong-un go their separate ways. Uh, and then the second hour of also our third hour that I've got to talk to you about uh, the wisdom of Kanye, the life philosophy of Kanye West. He's putting it all over Twitter. Some interesting stuff. You you want? I think you want to hear that. And uh, the governor of New York is acting like a bozo. That's nothing new. We'll have some fun with that. So uh, stay right there. I think the judge is setting up a sensible system where there will be a review of these documents to see whether any are covered by the attorney-client privilege, and those will be excluded, and that's proper, but most of these documents will not be excluded. You'll recall that I made that suggestion on this show, and Jeffrey said it was a terrible idea. It was a terrible he idea. Thought I thought it would thought be a waste unnecessary. of time and unnecessary. I still do, but now, it's not a bad idea. Now, suddenly, it's a good idea. Well, I, I mean, think I still think it's a good idea. Okay. Look, you're going to have a judge or somebody assigned by the judge to look through the papers, and I hope he's right. If there's nothing that's lawyer-client privilege here, let the prosecutors see it all, let them prosecute. But if they find communications between a lawyer and a client that are legitimate, no FBI agent should get to see that and leak it. The Dersh laying it down versus CNN's uh, shockingly inept, in my opinion, legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin, but nonetheless... Uh, Dersh was given a, a bit of a buck slap. Perhaps we could say a Dersh slap. Um, but that was what was happening there. Uh, now they might have this other person. They might have some setup where they don't allow. They don't allow those who are 
uh, prone to leak, for example, to get their hands on the information in the first place. And that's very important here, especially when you're talking about such a high profile. I mean, it doesn't get more high profile than this, does it? And you might have folks that think that, uh, okay, it's attorney-client privilege information, but they want to even the score a little bit against Trump. We've seen we're not paranoid. They are out to get us. We've seen plenty of this against Trump. One more thing on this. Uh, I just saw the breaking news. Rudy Giuliani, best known by me for being the guy who uh, cleaned up New York City when I was there, when I was a kid there. And it was a really dangerous place for a large U.S. city. A lot of bad stuff going on in the early 90s in New York. Rough time. Uh, Giuliani cleaned it up. He has now joined the legal team that Trump has put together. So Giuliani is, in fact, uh, Giuliani is, in fact, the guy who is getting added onto the roster. Now, Giuliani knows Mueller. So that'll be interesting. And the reporting, at least from CNN here, is that Giuliani may ask for uh, essentially a list of compliance material that they would need to bring the investigation to a close, to try to speed this thing up. How effective can uh, Rudy be in this whole thing? How effective will Giuliani be in trying to, one, help Trump and protect his flank on all this and also to speed things along? I don't know. You know, Rudy's been, I don't think he's been, I know he's been a security consultant, does a lot of TV stuff. I don't think he's been practicing much in the way of law in a long time, but I could I could be wrong on that. Uh, so we shall see. But yeah, Giuliani has joined the Trump defense team. That's the breaking, uh, breaking news. Giuliani uh, joins Trump defense team. So there is that. Uh, Patrick in Wabash, Indiana. Did I say that right? Patrick? Yes. Whoa, hey. Yeah, we're here, man. We can all hear you. Wabash or Wabash? Okay, Wabash. Wabash. All right, I was close. What's up? I want to ask a question that's never been asked by anybody, and I don't know if they ever thought of it, but it's, it's true. Uh, Hillary, Obama, and it all, uh, Comey and such, why shouldn't they be prosecuted for conspiracy to overturn the United States? Because if that's what they can do with their lies and successfully get Trump out of office, they can do it to anybody. They well, Patrick, have- I, I appreciate where your heart is in this one, but if we couldn't get, if we couldn't get charges against Hillary for over 100 instances of classified on her homebrew server... And all the lies and all the destruction of evidence that followed it. Um, I, we're not, I don't think we're going to get her on a complicated overturning the government charge. Never mind. I'm not sure that's something that could even be proven in, uh, under any circumstances. But I do appreciate you calling in from uh, Indiana. Uh, I had one more thing I wanted to get here to uh, the, the, the Dersh because this is important. Um, play clip nine, please. You never can have a crime where the intent is the whole thing. You have to have an illegal act. And you can't have an illegal act when the president acts within his constitutional authority. Metaphysically, you can't have an act that is both constitutionally authorized under Article 1, under Article 2, and at the same time is criminal. And you must have an actus reus. You must have an illegal act. And it would undercut the power of the president to start questioning why he pardoned, why he fired. Once he did it, and it's within his authority, you can't question him, just like you can't question a senator for his vote on the Senate floor, and you can't question a judge for their vote in the Supreme Court. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, in the NFL, there's some things that that cannot be reviewed. 
And even if you think, oh, man, that guy's foot was out of bounds, you're like, well, can't be reviewed, right? We all know the rules. This is not numb. There are rules. We all know. And Dersh is saying here, and he's going up against Tubin there as well, that you, you can't, there is not any scenario where the president's decision to fire, because the president can fire for any reason. So if the president can fire Comey for any reason, how can the president's firing of Comey be a prosecutable act? The answer is it can't be. So what the heck are they even talking about? The answer to that is they don't, you know, the Democrats don't even know. They just want to take Trump down. Uh, we've got some interesting news on North Korea. That makes me think that this may actually get further down, further down field, to borrow from our NFL analogy here, further down field than people would have anticipated. Uh, so I've got some stories for you on that. Plus, the wisdom of Kanye and the stupidity of Cuomo. That's coming up. You're going to want to stay around for it. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared and ready for the buck brief. We hope to see the day when the whole Korean Peninsula can live together in safety, prosperity and peace. This is the destiny of the Korean people who deserve and have gone through so much over the years. We hope it all works out. We'll be trying very hard. I want to thank the Prime Minister for his insight and support over the past year as we have pursued the dream of a peaceful, nuclear-free Korea. Shinzo, you have worked very hard along with us and all of our people, and we thank you very much. And we're with you. And you're a lot closer than we are, but we're working on this together. We are weeks away from what is anticipated to be one of the biggest foreign policy and diplomacy gambles of the last 20 years. Uh, And that's just, I'm just taking a, a wild guess there. I mean, you could take this back probably to the Berlin Wall. In terms of the geopolitical ramifications, North Korea is the single uh, most authoritarian, most totalitarian state on the planet. It is the most disturbing rogue state when it comes to its weapons programs, the most isolated from the international community and the most militaristic, even more so than Iran or others in its rhetoric. And the president of the United States right now, despite all of the naysayers and the people that have aligned against whatever foreign policy move he makes uh, has decided that he is going to approach this with fresh eyes and engage in what could honestly be and i'm not trying to you know take a line from what you might have heard on the apprentice here but this would be the most high stakes negotiation of donald trump's life Uh, i think that that's pretty clear if he sits down with kim jong-un face-to-face, and they have a discussion about the future of that country, doesn't get any bigger than that, because the possibility, if this fails, and we need to put this into the proper context so we understand why these discussions have so much riding on them, if this fails, the prospect of a war with North Korea at some point in the not-distant future uh, gets larger with each passing day. 
becomes much more serious and, and much more likely. Uh, so the, the president of the United States has decided to embark on this path, and it would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it, after, I mean, we could go back on Google and we could look at the tweets and see journalists who were saying Trump's Twitter account's going to start a nuclear war with North Korea, you know, calling him Little Rocket Man. Remember that one? Little Rocket Man. Uh, that's going to get us into hot water with North Korea, and there's going to be huge ramifications from it. What if Trump is the one that manages to put the Korean Peninsula on a path to stability? Where you don't have the North constantly threatening not just retaliation against the U.S. for any active aggression that it sees, but uh, trying to enforce its will upon South Korea at the point of a sword. It would be a game changer. And we have more information now about just what we can expect from uh, these talks. But first, I want to I note that uh, this is not just the result of a gamble that Trump took by setting up these direct talks. It's also a, res- uh, a policy response that he's had in place. You have tougher sanctions now on North Korea than at any point previously. More sanctions that target those who try to help them evade sanctions and going after vessels that are used to do transshipment of North Korean goods. Yeah, this is all very smart policy, and it is also bearing, it is also bearing out uh, its effects here. And remember, this is what the president that we're told doesn't know anything. He's an ignoramus on foreign policy. Meanwhile, his sanctions regime against North Korea is better than anything that we have seen previously. And you'd probably like to think, well, why is that? Well, maybe the Obama administration, for example, didn't want things to get too tense with North Korea because they didn't ever want to have to actually use the stick, just the carrot, right? They didn't want to have to come down on North Korea if there was some kind of a uh, reciprocal action taken by Kim Jong-un meant to you know, rattle us. You know, We put sanctions on him. He decides to come back at us with something. So the sanctions are critical. Play clip two. We have come a long way with North Korea. We were, as you know, and when I say we, for many years they've been talking to North Korea and nothing's happened. This should have been taken care of by past administrations when they were not nearly so far along. But we put unbelievably powerful sanctions on and many other things. He's right about the previous administrations, and that includes Republican administrations. Bipartisan failure on the issue of North Korea. You know what the safe move was, was in North Korea? Keep keep more or less the policy of your predecessor, whether it was Obama with Bush or Bush with Clinton, or keep whatever was there before, and don't rock the boat too much. Stay within what the foreign policy, the so-called foreign policy smart set, says you should do. You know, don't do anything that puts you in a position where you could be held accountable for a major. A disruption of the status quo and, and the, the fallout from it. When you start talking fallout, you can think nuclear fallout, too. Um, Trump is like, enough is enough. No more kicking the can down the road on North Korea. Let's let's take this head on. You know, you've had Comey, Sancta Comey, out there on his media tour, and he's talking about political courage. You know what political courage is? It's when you don't have to tackle something as an elected official. You can leave it for the next guy and protect your poll numbers. But you would rather protect an ally, global stability, and 30,000-plus American troops in South Korea. And whoever else we'd have to get involved if things really hit the fan 
in dealing with Pyongyang. That's what political courage actually is. It's not writing a book when you're going to get a lot of money for it and a lot of press and attention, and you're going to be messing up a current administration for your own personal gain. That's not courage. Saying, despite all the so-called foreign policy conventional wisdom, which has been arrayed against Trump in, in on almost every issue where he's decided to go his own way. Right? It's not like he can say, well, some agree with me, some don't. Whenever Trump steps away from the consensus opinion, whether it's on tra- trade is the, is the big one, and now we're seeing this in North Korea as well, there's a bipartisan backlash against it, but he believes that it's necessary, and he's going to lead. You know, leadership implies being out front, being first in the line. And for Trump, that means sitting across from Kim Jong-un and perhaps striking a deal. I I mentioned there was a a news update on it. I wanted to actually give you what that was. Uh, North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, according to the New York Times and other, well, I was going to say reputable sites, but however reputable you think they are has decided that uh, there will no longer be the upfront demand, the prerequisite of a removal of all U.S. troops from the Korean Peninsula. from I mean, from South Korea, right? We don't have troops in North Korea, so from South Korea. So Kim Jong-un is now officially, and this has come to us through uh, intermediaries in the, well, through the press, who I believe has said that, uh, yeah, South Korea's President Moon Jae-in has told us this, that there is not the precondition of all U.S. troops have to leave South Korea, which had been the case. And, and this, so this is a change. This shows a serious willingness to negotiate, right? It, that was a non-starter. That was a deal breaker. There was the possibility, and I had thought that it, it might come into play here. I couldn't rule it out that Kim Jong-un was going to say, uh, hold on a second. Before we really get to anything, we need you to agree to take all U.S. troops off the Korean Peninsula because then it becomes this game of, well, how do we verify whether, they re- whether they're cheating on their nuclear regime or not, You know, whether they've actually gotten rid of everything they've said they've gotten rid of. And if we don't have troops in the Korean Peninsula, we have way less leverage, and especially if things got really ugly really fast between North and South Korea. So... That was a non-starter. That's not on the. T- that's not a problem anymore. That's off the table. So this is another positive sign. I'm not trying to get ahead of things. I know this is going to be very tough, but it is the biggest negotiation of this president's life, no question about it. And the benefits could be huge. It could really affect our relationship with China in positive ways, which could affect our economy in positive ways. Or you got to think of the second order effects that could come from this. And I think in this instance, you'll see it's uh, very, very important. Um, The governor of New York is trying to show everyone he's woke. And we are going to discuss in just a few minutes here how unwoke he is. He's very, very into being a social judge. You'll see. You'll see. Just a few. Stay with me. Whether you're drinking it straight up on the rocks or mixing it into your favorite margarita, G4 tequila is simply the best you can get out there on the market right now. G4 is the pinnacle of master distiller Felipe Camarena's passion for crafting truly great tequila. What I think you're going to remember about G4 is that it's it has this incredible process where it uses 50% harvested rainwater and 50% uh, 50% spring water 
The rainwater is harvested from the advanced rain collection system that was built into the roof at El Pandio Distillery, and the spring water comes from a spring right on the ranch. This brings a distinctive, clear, crisp smell and flavor to G4. It sets it apart from all the rest. Try for yourself and see. I love drinking it. I think you'll really enjoy it, too. Visit G4Tequila.com for more details, or give them a like on Facebook at Facebook.com slash G4Tequilas. That's g 4 Tequila.com. Craft your own luxury. You want to talk about undocumented and the way they torture the DACA children. I'm an Italian-American. I came from poor Italian-Americans who came here. You know what they called Italian-Americans? Back in the day, they called them WAPs. You know what WAP stood for? Without papers. I'm undocumented. You want to deport an undocumented person, start with me. Because I'm an undocumented person. The governor of New York is apparently a moron. He gives speeches that he thinks sound good until the words leave his mouth, and then he realizes he is a buffoon of the highest order. (laughs) That's Cuomo, the governor of one of our biggest and most important states, at least by population and wealth. I'm I'm not trying to hate on you, Rhode Island, but not exactly carrying the same weight as New York. And this is now a, this is now a thing that we are all undocumented. You're going to see more and more of this, right? Because it used to be we're all immigrants, and then we realized that's not really true. It's not really an accurate statement. Now you're seeing oh, people like the governor of New York are saying that he's undocumented and deport him. Uh, I know that he's trying to make a point here, but it's a point that's so, or rather, he's doing it in so stupid a fashion that I think we give him far too much credit to think that there's even a point to be made. Nobody needs a hundred rounds to kill a deer. You remember, that was him after he decided to uh, push for gun control legislation in New York State, uh, and he was talking about hunting all the time, and anyone who knows anything about the Second Amendment knows that hunting has literally nothing to do with it. Would it be unconstitutional to tell people they were only allowed to use a, a bow and arrow or or perhaps a, a Roman Empire style pilum, which is like a weighted javelin spear. I just want to throw that in there because, you know, fun fact of the day. Um, yeah, actually, you could require people to only hunt with whatever implements you want, technically, at a, at a state level. It'd probably pass a federal law, say it's part of commerce. But But guns are not about hunting. But he doesn't care because he wants to ban firearms. And if you'll notice, every time the governor of New York gives a speech, it's up in the same register. It's like he doesn't think that the words will come out until they do, and then the words are out of his mouth that he said. From all right, I'll stop. So, uh, so he says he's undocumented. That's clearly not true. He's the governor of of New York State, um, and, and then he also took this even further with the I am. Uh, you know, this is a you see this hashtag sometimes of um, you know I am whatever. 
Um, and and Cuomo is trying to get in on some of that. He's trying to be he's trying to be woke Cuomo. Uh, he's trying to be woke Cuomo here, and this is what he says about all the different identities that he identifies with. Twenty two. As a New Yorker, I am a Muslim. As a New Yorker, I am Jewish. As a New Yorker, I am black. I am gay. I am disabled. I am a woman seeking to control her health and her choices because as a New Yorker, we are one community. I have a question for you. First of all, do you own a mirror? Second of all, why are you saying something so dumb? Uh, Notice how he's not a he's not just a woman in this. I understand he's taking some. Uh, some poetic license here with this, but notice how he's only a woman who's pro-choice is what he's saying. He and he didn't say pro-choice because it's preferential for people who are pro-choice to believe that they're really all about health, that it's a health choice. You know, some people like to have oat bran in the morning. Other people like to make the terrible choice of terminating a pregnancy. It's just about health. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, but that's the formulation that he uses. Um, that's the formulation that he uses because he is a, uh, a really a grotesque panderer. And don't ever forget that he's the same governor who there was something called the Moreland Commission. And remember, Democrats play dirty and Republicans are Boy Scouts who sometimes don't understand the street fight that they're in and therefore they lose. It's a recurring theme. I've been hitting that with you here on the show. Uh, but. Cuomo set up the Moreland Commission, or the Moreland Commission got started, and it was getting a little too close for comfort. So guess what he did with his corruption commission? He shut it down because they were looking for corruption, and C stands for Cuomo as well as corruption. So he's a guy that uh, I think if you looked at him more, you'd find out, oh yeah, he's dirty. He's a bad guy, too. Uh, I've heard from people in New York politics that uh, not not a nice fellow at all. Um, but oh, wait, we, we, one more quote from him before I move on from this. This is just this is what you're seeing, folks. Big states, very Democrat states. Now it's not enough to even be a Democrat. You have to be wearing your wokeness on your sleeve. Play 21. As New Yorkers, we are especially aware of issues of diversity. We're aware of issues of intolerance because we are 18 million people from countries all across the globe. We are probably the most diverse state on the globe. Uh, And it is the essence of who we are. And we have no tolerance for intolerance, period. And that's what we're going to stand up and say. This gets much more interesting when you look at what he means by intolerance, though. Uh, is, Is it intolerant if a... Uh, for for a Christian to have traditional beliefs about marriage, oh yeah, that's intolerance. Is it intolerant for someone to think that uh, uh, abortion is evil and should be illegal? Oh, that's intolerance. So, what they mean by intolerance is actually just anything that opposes the political orthodoxy of the left. They'll find a way to shoehorn that into the intolerance category. Uh, because they're, they're in a constant propaganda war. They're really not in a war for ideas as such. It's not about competing goods and principles and we're squaring off against them, battlefield of ideas. No. This is the left 
presenting itself as the moral choice. It's already been decided. They're the good guys. If you're not with them, you're the bad guy. And they're just going to keep yelling about it. They are not looking for converts. They are hunting heretics. And that is what you see from the governor of New York State uh, in everything that he does. But I just I couldn't help it. I am an undocumented person. I also do not tend to say things that are very smart. My speech writers sometimes write gobbledygook on the page because I will, there is place, go up, dog, cat, moo. Hey, not funny. I'm the governor. We're hitting a quick break, team. Back with uh, some thoughts from the one and only philosopher of our age. Who is it? Who is it? You'll have to stay and I'll let you know. I look for wisdom wherever I can find it. Uh, I like to spend as much of my time as I can acquiring more knowledge, uh, but insight about life and being able to leverage the life philosophy of others is something that I think we should all seek to uh, seek to gain, right? We should look for those who have uh, insights on, on just the day-to-day. I'm not talking about the, the deep philosophy like the meaning of life or religion. I just mean how you approach your job, how you approach waking up in the morning. And I just thought it was kind of funny because I, I spend time looking for these things uh, online, looking for people that have real insights. And sure enough, there's an unexpected source of what I guess you could call daily philosophy out there. Mr. Kanye West. I've been reading some of Kanye recently because his Twitter account, which has a mere 16 million followers. So a lot of folks get to see what Kanye's thinking. Uh, they can see what the what the Kanye is cooking, if you will. I guess the rock is going to be upset about this. Uh, but he said some interesting stuff on Twitter. Uh, it really kind of got my attention. But he also says really weird stuff. And so it's kind of fun because you, you can separate out the wisdom of Kanye from the weirdness of Kanye. And that, that's kind of what this little, <laughs> I spent a few minutes on this. Uh, before we get into roll call, which will obviously be just all wisdom, no weirdness, because it's coming from all of you. Like Kanye wrote, and this is just in the last couple of days, things like, Today will be the greatest day so far. Life keeps getting better and better. Now, you you could dismiss that as trite, to be sure, but, you know, isn't it better to wake up and think that? Maybe if it's not even true, it's a worthwhile way to approach your day, I would think. Uh, He also writes, if you want to see the true character of a person, watch the way they treat someone who can't do anything for them. Now, this is quite true. This got retweeted 161,000 times, I I would note. But uh, this is also well known, and it is obvious. And I will tell you that uh, whenever I have seen someone who has acted badly toward someone that I knew wouldn't be able to stand up for themselves or or retaliate in any way, I'm I'm never able to let that go entirely about that person's uh character you know that that to me is very very telling and people say this like oh pay attention to how someone treats those who serve them or wait on them and uh and those who work for them uh, i'm very proud of the fact 
although maybe proud is too strong a word because it's also just what I would expect from myself. But I've never, of all the people that I have, uh, that I've had work for me in some capacity in my years in media, I've, I've never mistreated any of them. So uh, that's something that I, I take pride in. Uh, how about that? Um, other things that Kanye, they're going back to the philosophy of Kanye West. He wrote, be let, this is just the last couple of days. He's been on like an online philosophy tear. I'm just trying to share it with you. I, you know, Kanye is a, he, some of you will say he's a megalomaniac and overrated and all that. And whether or not that's true, he's an interesting fellow. He's an interesting fellow. Um, he wrote, let's be less concerned with ownership of ideas. It is important that ideas see the light of day, even if you don't get the credit for them. Let's be, le- let's be less concerned with credit awards and external validation. Uh, this is a little zen, a little zen for Kanye, I think, here. It's somebody who makes a living in the creative space and who relies on intellectual property law to allow him to be so wealthy. I'm not sure this idea of just put your ideas out there and let anyone have them. Just put them out in the universe, man. I'm, I don't think that's good advice. I'm just going to say. Uh, where, where There's some other ones here that were really... Oh, here. Oh, wait, where did it go? Where did my where did Kanye go? It disappeared for a second off my screen, but I've got more coming up here. Uh, It's not where you take things from. It's where you take them to. Okay, that's a fortune cookie. That that's a fortune cookie. We don't have to spend much time on that one. Uh, And then there's one in particular that in life. Oh, here we go. In life, we are all trained actors. When we're born, we're ourselves. And then one of the first things we're thought is how to act. If you see a kid screaming at a restaurant because he feels something and can't express himself in a conventional manner, or the kid's just a just a baby, uh, then Kanye writes, I can't argue this one, stop lying about stuff. Just stop lying. And, oh, here's, here's a, a, a particularly uh, interesting one. You will be a drop of water with the ocean as your army. If you move out of fear, then you move on your own. Then it's just you and the money and the countless people you have lied to and manipulate to build a man-made path that will never lead to true happiness. Uh, what does that mean? I don't really know. But I just mean I just know that Kanye is something of a Twitter philosopher now. And uh, I, I've been enjoying some of the insights and the really, really random stuff, courtesy of Mr. Kanye West. Uh, like I said, I look for insight everywhere, folks. And with that, your insights coming up in Roll Call. It's been quite a week out here on the West Coast, the left coast, uh, my first time ever in San Diego, uh, hoping that I can at least go take a quick peek at the beach in La Jolla, which sounds like a lovely place, uh, before I have to head back on an airplane and get back into the fight in New York City. But man, traveling is tiring, I gotta say. You know the whole traveling salesman thing? Yeah, those guys were end gals, uh, earn their money though, it's a lot, and airline travel is also just it's just a bummer. It just is. You know, maybe one day we'll, I'll have Buck Force One, and I'd like to think it's like a G7 or something, but it will probably be a uh, a prop plane, um, and I'll have to learn to fly it myself. Uh, but Buck Force One is, is a goal of the future. It'd probably be more likely a, a hang glider even, you know, not even motorized. But I, I need some set of, of uh, wheels for the sky, if you will. And now with that, 
completely nonsensical interlude. Let's get into your much more sensible commentary, your thoughts, your questions, analysis of all things. It's time for some roll call. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. See, some of you love the dubstep. So I, I got to put the dubstep in if some of you are such big fans. I know others of you are not. Skrillex was the most famous dubstep DJ that I knew of, at least. And uh, he, I don't see as much of him anymore. All right, now let's get into it. If you want to write to me, by the way, if you want to be a part of this final segment of the show, uh, it is facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or official team Buck at gmail.com. Uh, let's go. Let's go into uh, Seth, who writes, Buck, I'm a couple of days behind you on the podcast, but I heard you are in San Diego. Are you having any meet and greet uh, opportunities for fans? Shields high. Uh, Seth, nothing planned, but uh, I will be wandering around downtown, popping into random bars and and hanging out tonight. And I'm sure I'll be uh, tweeting out or Instagramming. And if you don't follow me on Instagram, it's just Buck Sexton on Instagram. So... It's mostly photos of me doing work and then photos of Miss Molly because she's way prettier than I am. Uh, and that's pretty much my Instagram. And and dogs. Dogs, me doing media stuff, Miss Molly. That is a, a, a pretty comprehensive... Oh, and food occasionally. Uh, but not my... Only food that I cook, not food that someone else cooks for me, right? Because I'm not a savage. If I make a perfectly seared ribeye using my cast iron at home, if I have the, the appropriate amount of coated seasoning around it, ample salt and pepper. If I really get that caramelization of the meat on the out, yeah, then I'll share that on Instagram. But I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, look at this. I've got a, a kale beet salad with goat cheese and extra virgin olive oil that someone else put together. No, no, that's just for me to eat in, you know, in front of me eating my ribeye or rather ahead of me eating my ribeye. Uh, so anyway, Seth, hopefully I'll, uh, maybe we'll, we'll bump into each other tonight at some point with some of the rest of the team, but I'm going to be wandering around downtown San Diego. If you see a guy who looks like a lost tourist wearing a, uh, a hoodie, cause I'm trying to fit it here in California, Mark Zuckerberg style. I'm rocking a, uh, a hipster hoodie today. Um, that will be me. So come, please come over and say hi. Uh, next up we've got Adam. Who writes, hey, Buck, I just want to say you've inspired me to start speaking my mind about current events, history, philosophy, and how all these things relate back to promoting freedom. Started a Facebook page, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, thanks so much for continuing to inspire others. Well, Adam, that's a really high compliment, my friend. And I'm so glad that you feel in any way what I do here on this show, my, my, uh, my day-to-day passion, my life's work. Uh, if it inspires you to do your own version of the Freedom Hut, or if you feel like now you're empowered to just share your thoughts more with family and friends and or uh, put a, a platform out there where you're doing your own analysis, that's great. And it's very, very high praise indeed. And uh, keep at it and shields high. Uh, Daniel, next up, I enjoy your show. Hopefully Sanctacomius, Sanctacomi, and all its grammatical forms become part of our language you're a clear voice among the babble. Well, Daniel, you are a man who understands clarity when he hears it. So thank you so much for your kind message and your support. You know, on days like today, where I'll be honest with you, I've been driving around, running around, just lots and lots of meetings. And I can't give you any previews really of what the meetings are going to, or what they're about, but I can tell you that we've just got a lot of projects in mind uh, for 
the Freedom Hut here, also known as the Buck Sexton Show, that will be coming to fruition soon. And there's going to be more uh, audio additions to what we do here and more video additions to what we do here. It is all in the mix. It is, uh, it is getting done. And by the way, also, all of you who have decided to check out some of our uh, sponsors on the show, I've uh, been getting feedback about that. It just it helps so much. And there's no bigger vote of confidence you can give for what I'm doing day in and day out than when I, I read off uh, some ideas or some uh, some copy points, uh, give you a URL to go to for one of our sponsors. Check them out, please, because that's the way. Look, that's the way we fund all the projects we're doing, including the future expansions of the hut. And it, it really means a lot. And those of you who have been doing it, and there are a lot of you, Really appreciate it. And those of you who haven't yet, please give it some thought. And uh, with that, we will go to Sarah here. Uh, Roll call is always fun, but even more so when I hear my own stuff. Ah, Sarah, she's in the roll call feed now. Fun to feel connected somehow. As I listened to last night's show and realized I wasn't the only one who caught it, I thought perhaps you might feel glad we all listened so carefully. Yes, Sarah, there was a bit of a preview that was uh, unintended of... Perhaps Buck spending more time in our nation's capital starting very soon. So, like I said, neither confirm nor deny, but those of you who missed it can go back and listen on the podcast and you can make up your own minds about it. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have Eich. I, I got to say, I don't know how to how to pronounce this. Let me know when you get to San Diego. Big fan here. Well, Eich, uh, thank you. And I'm here. So there you go. And I'm going to be downtown tonight in San Diego, wandering around. Probably whatever the best seafood restaurant in San Diego is, that is probably where I will be tonight. So whatever that is, I'm an oyster guy. I'm a seafood guy. And Miss Molly hates all that stuff. Loves tuna. I mean, there's some seafood she likes, but does not like any of the raw shellfish. So when when we're separated, she had to go back to New York. Uh, When we're separated, I tend to really indulge my inner Poseidon. So poetic, Buck. So poetic. Uh, Dr. Lee! Hey! Dr. Lee, haven't heard from you in a while. That's really nice. Dr. Lee's one of my OSS squad here, and she's got more degrees than I have uh, fingers on my hands. She writes in, uh, as always, love the show. Shout out to my fellow OSS peeps from Dr. Lee. Today, I was especially moved by the story you shared about the young man who realized how self-involved he was and ultimately changed his attitude. Thankfully, I work at a university that allows me to even encourage me uh, to share my faith with students. Thus, every morning at the beginning of class, I have spiritual reflections where I share inspirational stories. Today, I use this story as our time to reflect on compassion for others since today's topic was on energy balance and obesity. Because of this story, I think they will look at obesity with a different set of eyes. Shields high. Can't wait to see you all in Austin. Uh, Well, Dr. Lee, I'll certainly give you a heads up uh, when I'm going to be down in the Austin area working on that trip uh, and and hopefully going to be bringing it to fruition. Maybe not this summer because it's like a little hot in Austin over the summer, but the fall, like October maybe, November, would be like a great time for me to go check out what's going on in Austin, I think. Um, But it might be sooner than that, too. And yeah, I thought that story that guy told was really moving. And, you know, I, I still, um, there's, there's a couple stories that it reminded me of that I might share with you later on, uh, later on. Well, it wouldn't be this week, but next week. 
Um, and, and I will tell you that one thing that I've, I've really never been able to shake, uh, this is just me uh, sharing some truth, sharing some of my truth with you here, which I try to do all the time, but this is a, on, on a personal side, is whenever I have mistreated somebody who has been good to me in even a small way, I have a really hard time with that, meaning that uh, I remember it for, for years and I, I always want to make amends. And fortunately, I, I, I will say I think the incidents are few and far between, but I mean, even kind of more minor ones, you know, or uh, before I got into media, if anyone when I was in the agency or before that, you know, kind of looked up to me and I, and I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't live up to the expectation in one way or another or not even the expectation just live up to uh, my own standards so it's important always always keep in mind those around you who are trying to show you kindness and respect and they may not be doing it in the way that you necessarily would assume they would right and they may not be they may not be the smoothest or the coolest in how they do it but you know never forget the person that does a little little nice thing here or there for you um, and and always try to be thankful for it uh we have eric he writes hope you're enjoying the left coast i was trying to think of something to challenge you with for movie quote friday and i was wondering did you ever catch boondock saints i guarantee you'll be entertained or your money back i will literally reimburse you for the cost of the rental also the hillary impressions get me every time i'm breaking laws i love it that's what hillary says so and he wrote in the quote uh that's gonna be it for the freedom hunt for today my folks um, my folks my friends my fellow patriots, all of the above, uh, thank you so much for being here with me. Excited to uh, get back to home base Freedom Hut. And uh, tomorrow, my friend, Mike Opelka. Those of you who are original Saturday Squad know that Mike was one of my earliest guests on radio. He was a guy who, before it was even clear that there was going to be much of a Freedom Hut, he was my buddy. So you should uh, definitely give him a listen, give him a, a chance tomorrow. And he will be uh, in for me. So we call him the Godfather. And if you want, you can call it and ask him why that is. But Michael Pelka in tomorrow. So I'll be back with you all Monday. That means please do catch up on any podcasts you missed. Share it with a friend if you can. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. Shields high.